The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. Hope you're having a great day. Special shout-out to my friend Yoshiko Dart, who I just saw at the fabulous AAPD Gala. Yoshiko, we love what you're doing. And with that, speaking of the AAPD Gala, not only do I have a superstar on the show today, this woman just has done so much. EEOC Commissioner, Assistant Director of OPM, now the Disability uh, Law Center, but she is known across the country as a disability rights leader, Obama appointee, uh, but guess what I can say? One of my favorite people and close friend and friend of all of us, welcome to the show, Chris Griffin, current board chair of AAPD. Well, I thank you, Joyce. It's great to be here. I always love being on your show. Well, I always love having you on the show. So, you know, Chris, my first question I wanted to ask you is, many people like you have some type of accident and then they have a disability, or um, like me, they have a disability, uh, you know, from birth. Or, But not everyone with a disability, even after a horrible accident, decides, I'm going to be an advocate for people with disabilities. Not everyone does that. So what made you do that? Well, Joyce, I have to be honest. I didn't begin my career advocating for anyone except myself, probably. Um, And I certainly didn't uh, anticipate being an advocate for people with disabilities, even after I became disabled. And uh, I was working as an engineer, and although a woman with a disability for 10 years before going to law school, um, it wasn't until I was in law school in 1990, the year the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, became law, that I started to realize that, you know, this whole body of law, disability rights law, actually existed. And I also realized at that time that, you know, my idea of going on to do different things with a law degree related to my engineering degree um, weren't all that important and that being part of an evolution of a new law like this um, would really be rewarding and exciting. So it really wasn't until um, 1990 that I that I had an epiphany <laughs> and decided that this was um, uh, what I would do with the rest of my life. Now, let me ask you, did you meet someone that caused that trigger? Well, what really happened was my first summer job, my first uh, summer after my first year of law school, I worked for Tom O'Neill, who was uh, Tip O'Neill, the old Speaker of the House from Massachusetts, uh, Tip O'Neill's son, 
And he asked me that summer to find out about this new law and how it would impact his clients. Well, I don't think I ever did that for Tom, even to this day. But Tom was able to get me into some trainings that were ongoing uh, that EEOC and the Department of Justice were putting on to train people with disabilities as advocates to be out there and spreading the word about this new law and educating people about it. So he was able to get me into this training that was highly um, desired and very selective in who they let in. And, uh, and that really turned things around for me. It was going to that training. It was meeting disability advocates from all over the country. It was meeting people from DREDF like Liz Savage, who's now at the Department of Justice, and learning about this law and what they had been working on for years that really made me, I can almost remember the moment talking to Liz Savage that I said, I, I, I have to do this work. I have, to, I have to change my whole game plan here. And I did. Well, we're glad you did. Thank goodness Liam, you too. did. Liam, uh, too. So, as I mentioned earlier, I just came back from the fabulous what I refer to as the Academy Awards of the Disability Community, which is the AAPD Gala, the American Association of People with Disabilities. And it was, as usual, so awesome. And over the past year, I might add, the changes that have occurred at AAPD, just monumental, especially bringing in the disability, and grassroots community. And we are all very fortunate that you serve as chair of AAPD. So I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, how do you enjoy this? What has this meant to you as the chair? Well, I love being um, the chair of such a great organization. It has been a year of some difficulty and change. Change is not always easy. Uh, but we've we've really been very successful in in really turning things around and and real I think I keep saying really but trying to to make AAPD more part of the grassroots community than maybe it had been in the last few years and I really you know I, I can't take credit for this it's really Helena Berger who is is the current. Um, uh, CEO and her staff, the people that she's brought on board so far that have really made it easy to be the chair of such a great organization. And while it can be a lot of work with various meetings and things, you know, most of it's done by phone because our board is all over the country, um, it's very rewarding, very interesting work, closely connected to the work I do every day as the executive director of the Disability Law Center here in Massachusetts. So um, I I can't probably say enough about how how important the work is that AAPD does with, with, and that's the operative word, with the disability community um, and and how much of a part of the community we are. Well, as I said, so far, this organization has come. And, and definitely, under your leadership and Helena Berger, just has made so many wonderful, positive uh, 
moves over the past year. But with that, I think we have a caller on the line. Todd, are you on the line? I am here. Hello, Todd. How are you? Can you hear me? <laughs> I hear you. I'm here. Okay. Do uh, you have a comment for our guest today? Yeah, this is Todd Bankafir, and I wanted to ask Chris. Um, I'm in the business of web accessibility, and uh, you're familiar with our company and mm-hmm. AudioEye, and I just wanted to ask you just sort of maybe to frame the importance of web accessibility for persons uh-huh. with disabilities. It's How would you frame a, it in the world today that we live? Well, in the world we live today, if you don't have access to what's available on the Internet um, in every aspect of your life, uh, then you, you're, you're really missing something. And so having accessibility, access for all people with all types of disabilities is just so important. Um, look, everything, you know, look at what's happening with education, online education. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really didn't think I'd see the explosion of that that has happened in the last couple of years, um, especially from some of these old uh, sort of stodgy institutions. Um, they, I, I don't think there's a school that exists anymore that doesn't no. offer online courses. Um, and making sure that those are accessible to people that use screen readers, to people that need captioning of videos, things like that. It's just key. And, um, you know, certainly audio eye is, is at the forefront of, of being able to make that accessible for everybody. Um, yeah, we really in, yeah. in some interesting ways, too. Well, we feel strongly that technology can and can solve this problem for good, and there shouldn't be an an issue of inaccessibility for anybody. And uh, yeah, no, that's and it certainly isn't a good uh, business work. decision. It certainly isn't a good business decision to not be accessible. No, no. it's not. And if you look at what's happening with court cases around this, it's, it's silly for anybody to say we're not going to do that. Or we're not going to um, make our our website accessible. It just doesn't make sense. It's a losing response. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Todd, thank you so much yeah, for thanks, calling Todd. in. Yeah, absolutely. Of audio thank you to you too for all you do. Both oh, of you. Thank I, I you think so highly much. of you and the company. So thanks for calling in, Todd. My pleasure. Have a great day. You all too. Right. Take care. You know, that's another thing that amazes me, uh, Chris, is that sometimes when I talk to people, it's as if they don't realize that you really have to be accessible and yeah. that they think accessible only means if you're blind. Yeah, I think a lot of places don't really think about the variety of, of ways that people access things and use um, technology. And, you know, it's... It really is a very wide and varied um, group of people that need accessibility, and you know, it's you know, as everyone ages, I don't know what the statistic is, but we're all going to become hard of hearing, uh, and we still will want to be able to access a variety of things, and we may need to see videos that are captioned so that we capture every uh, word that's, that's actually spoken. Um, you know, it's not just people who are deaf. It's, it's those of us that are aging and, and are losing our hearing. 
visual impairments, having something, a screen reader software, and being able to dictate if you have a speech impairment from a stroke or something like that, um, using uh, uh, different te- technology is 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 key. Um, so I it think is, and that's why we tell people remember. Uh, when they talk about, oh, people with disabilities and the ADA, I say, well, guess what? You are the temporarily able-bodied, and the ADA is for you also, yeah, because just is. as you said, we all get older, yeah. and yeah. with that come disabilities. So, yeah, it uh, does. It's just that's a natural just, yeah. progression. Right. And, and we can all take advantage. I mean, look at curb cuts. I always, I always laugh when I sit on a corner and I, I now have to fight to use the curb cut with everybody that's walking because nobody steps off a curb. The curb cut funnels them <laughs> into the curb cut and uh, I think people have forgotten that they actually can step off a curb or step up a curb. <laughs> it's true. And you look at, I watch it with ramps, I watch it with, you know, all sorts of access speeches. It's really been good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Every improvement we make is, is benefits lots of people besides mm-hmm. those that it was specifically uh, meant to provide access for. So um, I, I think people, you know, need to embrace this law and and becoming accessible a lot more freely than some do right now. I agree with that. And listen, we're going to talk more to Chris right now. We have to go to break Uh, We're talking to Chris Griffin, Executive Director of the Disability Law Center in Boston and Board Chair of the American Association of People with Disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Griffin. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. At Highmark, we believe what makes us different makes us better. Our differences broaden our perspectives and foster diverse skills which complement each other, creating a stronger and more vibrant workforce. It's this belief that earned us recognition by the USBLN and the American Association of People with Disabilities as a 2014 Disability Equality Index Best Place to Work. So we'll continue to celebrate diverse individuals because inclusion benefits us all. To find out more, visit Highmark.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. 
One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back everyone. We're talking to Chris Griffin the Executive Director of the Disability Law Center and Board Chair of AAPD. That's one thing I wanted to talk about, Chris. You mentioned before, you know, how far we've come, including the disability community. In your opinion, what do you think AAPD means to the disability community? I think AAPD is uh, is a very important member of the disability community as an organization. And there are, you know, there are a, a few that come directly to mind that we work closely with and in partnership with. And that's, that's what I think AAPD means and should mean to the disability community, that here is, and actually Michael Murray, the uh, COO of AAPD, put it best when he described AAPD as the catalyst, the convener, and the connector within the disability community. So when you think about that, you know, the catalyst to make some things happen, the convener to bring some people together, and then the connector to connect, you know, different people and organizations so that we're all speaking with one voice. That's, that's what's really important is that we're part of the community and that we're all speaking with the same voice on most issues. You know, can't all be the same for all, but usually um, we try and be on the same page as the rest of the community. And it's really... Those things are really, really important, that APD is part of the grassroots, that we're connected to the independent living centers all over the, this country, that we're connected to all the other membership organizations that exist, um, you know, like the Epilepsy Foundation or like the um, National Association for the Deaf, that we're all constantly in, in contact and connection with each other and we understand what the issues are for particular groups of people with disabilities. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things. There are many, but one thing I really love is that we are cross-disability. That's right. I love that because I do too. it isn't just you know about one group. And nope. there you are when you said about nope. connecting, convene, we're bringing everyone together. Nope. Uh, and also, you know, just for the disability community at large, whether it's uh, someone employed, not employed, nope. you know, nope. poverty, uh, no, you know, more well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It includes all people and, and, and a voice for all people. I really and you know, Joyce, if you look at the board of AAPD, that, that, that board reflects all of that. So there are lots of different people with disabilities 
that are on that board that represent different organizations and different you know issues that are related to people with disabilities. There are business people that really care about what happens to uh, this community. So we've got a great, great board. And I certainly, you know, as chair, you know, I mentioned Helena Berger and the staff, but it's the other board members, too, that make this easy uh, to be chair of that organization because they're committed and they're good, solid people who understand the issues of their community. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. We have so many great people yeah. uh, as volunteers and that serve on that yeah. board. And I know one thing you and AAPD are talking about a lot, and of course, is this not the perfect time, would be the vote, getting out the vote. Because I always tell people, I don't care, a person with a disability, I don't care how you vote, but I do care that you vote and that you register to vote. That's right. Um, And I wanted everyone listening to our show with a disability or a family member, someone with a disability, someone that is not even registered to vote, I wanted you to, you know, talk to them, but also what should I do or other people do when we get calls about, oh, in a certain county, the voting poll is not accessible. So could you talk about those two things? Absolutely. Well, I want to first talk about uh, uh, RevUp because that's a campaign that AAPD and a lot of different organizations in the states, different states are involved in. And we in Massachusetts have uh, convened uh, a task force of probably about 25 different people from different disability organizations to, um, to do exactly that, rev up. Rev up stands for register, educate, vote, and then up is use your power. We believe that the disability community and, you know, the extension of of our community to our families and friends are are, uh, an amazing voting block of people, and yet nobody really sees us as that or, or respects the disability vote right now, and that's something that we want to change. But we can only change it by getting people with disabilities not only registered to vote, but out to vote. And this is a total nonpartisan project that we're working on. Our goal is to get people, no matter we, whatever way you want to vote is fine, we just want to make sure that you get registered and that you go out and vote. So we've been working on it at AAPD. AAPD is serving as, uh, uh, this is the, the, the convener and collector of information on their website to make sure that people in different states know who they can contact to be part of the RevUp uh, campaign. Um, in Massachusetts, we have our own website. You can take a look at that at RevUpMA.org, and you can link to that also from AAPD's website. And so, again, we're trying to actually get every state involved in this campaign and really come up with a plan for how we're going to work with the independent living centers and other membership organizations to make sure that people with disabilities do get registered and do get to vote. And this is a good year to do that because 
as you know, this presidential election is looming in the fall, and it's critical that that we have a good showing at at this um, at at that time. And I, I have to. You mentioned Yoshiko Dot, who I hope is listening, because I always have to quote Justin Dot when we talk about voting. And he said, "Vote as if your life depends upon it, because it does." And that is so true right now when you look at this presidential primary and, you know, you look at what the possibilities are, it's, it's a little frightening that, you know, some people I don't think understand our issues at all. And uh, we have to make sure that the next president does understand our issues. So and, um, it is ahead. important. I, I was just going to say, and then I want you to talk about the accessibility, yep, but I just yep. want to say that it is up to you to not only register to vote, but to read, to go to the websites of the uh, presidential uh, people running for office. Because as Chris said, all of these things, what some people are saying, would directly impact you in a negative and or positive way. Um, So go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that. And as for the inaccessibility um, of voting... Uh, places as well as finding, you know, automark machines or whatever type of machine your state uses for people who are blind or visually impaired to be able to vote. A lot of times people show up, they aren't working, or the people working at the polls don't know how to operate them. Those are things that you definitely should report, and there's a number of places you can report that to. There is a protection and advocacy agency in every state and territory. So in Massachusetts, it's the disability loss in my organization. We all play a role under the Help Americans Vote Act to provide advocacy for people um, with voting issues and to eliminate barriers to voting. So you can report any type of inaccessibility there. You can also look up what your local election commission may be. It might be an election official. It might be a town clerk. It might be um, uh, somebody else that's designated uh, to be responsible for voting, and that's a person you can report uh, any inaccessibility to as well. You know, the the problem is, Joyce, that polling places are only open and operational on the day that you actually vote. So it's not something you can go check out beforehand or after the 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 day um, of an election because it doesn't exist. It's they come into a space and while the space may be fully accessible on its own, there may be good parking, the doorway may be fine. Once you get in there, you may find that the way they set up the voting booths or the machinery is, is inaccessible to you, and that's not acceptable, especially now in 2016. So there are places you can report that to, uh, but worst-case scenario, um, you know, Department of Justice is also interested in, in access voting issues, so... Think locally first because it's easier to resolve things really at a local level. If you don't get any help there, 
you can also report it to the Protection Advocacy Agency in your state. You can also report it to the Secretary of State's office in your state, who also plays a role in accessibility and voting. And then, you know, I think at the end of the the line, if you want to report it to the Department of Justice, that's fine too. But there are many avenues, and please do report in accessible voting places. It's the only way we get things fixed. Okay, and uh, I agree. Speak up. Don't keep it silent. Uh, but we have another caller on the line right now. Tony, are you on the line? I sure am, Joyce. I Hello, Tony to... Quello. Oh. Hello, hello, Hi, hello. Hi, Tony Coelho. Hello, Christine. How are you? I'm fine. Thank Let's, you so much for calling in. Well, I think it's important that we recognize just how much you've done for our community. I don't know of anybody who has done the variety of things and the commitment to our community over the years, such as you, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, uh, then uh, uh, OPM, and then uh, uh, Health Department in the state of Massachusetts, voting rights, I mean, excuse me, uh, disability rights in Massachusetts, now trying to bring uh, Uber and motor ca- uh, motorized chair uh, folks together. You've just been everywhere helping out in every possible way, and I just want to applaud you for all that uh, you've done and all of uh, Joyce's listeners should know just uh, how effective you've been over the years. Well, thank you very much. You can't see me, but I'm kind of blushing right now. <laughs> but <laughs> well, thank you. you do deserve thank you, you do, do deserve uh, credit. You've done a tremendous now, and also now as chairman of the board of AAPD, it's uh, really exciting to watch you, how, how effective uh, you are and how respected you are among the community. That's what's exciting. I thank you, Tony. Thank you, you know, very much. You know, you know what, Tony? Um, one thing I wanted to mention, you know, you were whipping Congress, congressmen. Um, we were just telling all of our listeners how important it is to register to vote, but, but it's true that even one or two or ten votes can make a difference. Isn't that yeah. right? Well, it's even more true uh, this year because uh, there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Uh, more than likely in the term of the next president, there will be two additional, uh, at least one, but probably two additional openings. And the ADA is on the line. Uh, all the issues that are so important to us, uh, uh, Obamacare, there will be challenges to that. Uh, the pre-existing conditions that are so critical to to us and that we finally won after all these years, um, every vote counts, and it's critical uh, that we protect our rights that we've worked so hard for over all these years. Um, you know, a lot of us have been working on these things for 20, 30, 40 years to get us where we are today, and it all could be taken away from us uh, just by somebody not voting and critical states in order to uh, put into the White House a person who supports our needs, who then can appoint people to the Supreme Court. Generally, we always say the Supreme Court's important, uh, but this year the Supreme Court is critical. Uh, It's critical that 
we get the right person on the Supreme Court in that vacancy. Yeah. Um, but it's also critical that we anticipate uh, what's going to happen in the next term of uh, the president. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, hear, hear. Yeah, amen. Okay, well, so you heard uh, it from Tony Quello. Register, yeah. get out and vote. Yeah, this Absolutely. is, you know, Tony, we've never been able to really, you know, have anybody, you know, any um, anybody who's running for, you know, any office really look at our community as an important uh, one to court and that they really see our vote as important. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do with this Rev Up campaign is also long-term develop um, polling questions, things that will highlight how important we are um, during elections of any kind. And uh, that's that's not going to be easy, but um, it's important. Well, Chris, as you know, it's not only those of us with disabilities, but it's our loved ones and mm-hmm. our associates as well. We're right. a huge community with lots of influence, um, and we have votes, and our loved ones have votes, and uh, appealing to our community in a very positive way. I don't mean pandering. I mean uh, appealing to us, just uh, making us part of the overall effort is what's critical. Uh, knowing sincerely that uh, you want us to be part of the uh, fabric of society is all we're asking for. We don't want anything special. We just want to be able to participate like everybody else and to be recognized just like everybody else. And that's what it's that's what it's all about. Um, and I I don't think uh, that's been the case over the years. We've always been able to get things uh, done when needed after aggressive pushing. But what the, what we're really talking about is that we're just at the table along with everybody else and participate yeah, yeah. In, in decision-making and be considered a legitimate part of the fabric of society. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what we're uh, struggling for and want. Yeah, well said. Yes, very well said. Well, Tony, thank you so much for yeah, calling thanks. in. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. No, no problem. No problem. Anytime. Thank Have you, Have a Joyce. great day. Have All a great right. day. Hi, Tony. Bye-bye. Always so great to hear from Tony. Clark. I know. Always. Um, so we're talking about all these things. Chris, you have worked in disability rights uh, for a while here. So in your opinion... What do you believe are some of the critical policy issues right now for the disability community? Well, I, you know, like you, I, I, you know, for me, employment has always been, there's lots of important issues, uh, but employment has always been a key issue. I really do see it as the, the um, one place where people start seeing less of of differences between people with disabilities and and those without and and more similarities. And I really, you don't see it happen in other places in a way that you see it in the workplace. Um, And I think it's because, you know, you spend so much time with people and if you're doing the same job they're doing, they start to see less of the disability and more of you as a person. 
And I think if we could get people with disabilities into the workplace in a, you know, in a, uh, a sizable way, a way that really started to make a difference, I really believe that we could change society's views about people with disabilities. And I think having employment opportunities at competitive wages is also key within the employment priority. We have to phase out the subminimum wage waivers that are allowed in this country. And what may have been a really good idea in the late 1940s is not a good idea right now. And so we have to raise our expectations that all people with disabilities um, are, are, you know, capable of doing meaningful work at competitive wages. And we have to make sure that those opportunities are there. But my second uh, major issue would be that they have to have a decent education in order to get that. And an education that's free of abuse and neglect in the form of restraint and seclusion that we're seeing, you know, we're seeing used in, a, in just an amazing way in, in public and private schools. Um, the kids with disabilities get good transition services that begin early enough so that they can get internships and summer jobs. So when they get to college or to employment, they have experience that they've learned some social skills that we all learn when working as teenagers. Uh, those are the things that are really important. So getting a job leads to the fact that you have to have a decent education. We have to end the school-to-jail pipeline problem that we're seeing in schools all over the country and mostly in schools where kids with disabilities are also predominantly African-American or Hispanic. These kids are being segregated into separate school buildings and if their behavior problems of any kind, which may exactly be a manifestation of their disability, emotional or developmental disability, these kids are suspended, expelled, and in some cases arrested as 12 and 13 year olds. Um, this, is, this is a horrible, horrible thing to have happen to young kids uh, and especially kids with disabilities because we're already saying to them that your life is a failure and you're 12 years old. So we, we, we must make sure that these kids have access to an education that truly is an education and it's free of, of the types of things that are happening. We need teachers that are actually trained on how to work with kids with disabilities and... We really, uh, there are schools that have done away with the use of restraint and seclusion. We know it can be done. We think all schools should figure out how to do that. Yeah, that's a terrible thing. Yeah, it is. That is it really, is. A, I don't think the public really knows or understands a lot of this yeah. because yeah. it is horrible what goes on. And, you know, uh, about work changing things, when you get a job, all of a sudden, you meet people and you socialize with them. And That's you go right. out with them and you, or you go to games or you go out after work. And see, those are the things that are going to change the way people think. Not just yep. seeing the person perform at work, but yep. included. Yeah, you know, you included know in everything. Yeah, yeah. And many yep. people, as a result of self-efficacy, have this belief that, you know, 
don't even bother trying to look for a job. Today, I interview a young man with epilepsy who is getting his four-year degree, and he wants to find a job, you know, uh, when he gets out of school in May, and he says to me, well, you know, if it's right around where I live, I, I mean, I really want to get a job, so, you know, if I have to, I would work for free. And I said, where the heck uh, did you get that idea? Or really? Why would anyone tell you that? I uh, mean, your whole life is not like a not-for-profit. But I, you don't know how many people I've met that think like that. I know, I know. And, and you know, and that part is so sad. And what I'm hoping is that uh, 503... Oh, it's yeah. going to really move employment for people with disabilities. Um, first of all, do you think that? Do you think it will make yeah. a big change? Yeah, I and, do. And I then, think it's the game changer, really, for employment of people with disabilities, especially if the next president embraces enforcement of it um, and has a you know a, a secretary of labor that's you know interested in making sure that it gets enforced. You know, it ta- it's going to take some time, and I've learned this several times in my life, that everything like this that, that really is a, a culture change takes time. And, you know, the federal government, you know, is just now realizing the, the changes that were required by the president's 2010 executive order on increasing employment of people with disabilities in the federal government. So changing the culture of the federal contractors, getting them to hire people, we know will result in them realizing that the disability community is an untapped pool of talent. And once they learn that, there's no going back. Once they know that this is a, 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 you know, a community that has lots of talented people that they can tap into, I really believe that, um, that things will change. Uh, but you know it's 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 going to take some time. I, I you know I think 503 lets them sort of ramp up, and and I think they're in the process of doing that. And eventually, uh, they are gonna you're gonna see seven percent or near it anyway of people with disabilities in these companies that that have federal contracts and that's going to be huge because I don't know how I don't know what the statistic is but I mean everybody's a federal contractor in some way shape or form aren't they yeah um, a large you know, set, yeah 22 percent of employees yeah. in America work for a federal yeah contractor. that's incredible and you know I was at a meeting one day we were talking about 503 and someone was there from uh, Home Depot and she said, we're a federal contractor. I mean, just think about it. Stores that you go into, you don't think of them as federal contractors, but if they have a contract with the government and they sell to the government, they're a federal contractor. So, um, you know, this is, uh, I think this, I think 503 is the game changer for employment of people with disabilities, but it's going to take a few years for it to ramp up. Yeah, and I think the big wake-up call was when companies uh, did their survey for uh, self-identification, yep. and people yep. did not self-identify yeah. to the amount that they thought yeah. it would be. Well, uh, and I think, I think that, that was a yeah. wake-up call. Yeah. 
Well, you know what? You have to be a really good, safe place, uh, a safe employer for people to be to want to self, you know, identify a, a hidden disability. Obviously, you know, if you have someone like myself in the workplace who uses a chair for mobility, you know, it's not hard to figure out uh, that I have a disability. Uh, but there are lots of people in the workplace that aren't going to identify unless they feel it's safe to do so. And I think by a company hiring more people with disabilities, it will that will show, and how they treat them once they get in there, that will show the people there with hidden disabilities that are already there that it's safe to, to come out. But it's, it's going to take time. It's taking time, but I'm already seeing some change. So I'm yeah, so excited great. about That's that. Great. I yeah, am. I'm yeah. so excited about yeah. that. Hey, Chris, earlier we mentioned Yoshiko Dart, and as you know, Yoshiko is a major proponent and always has been of mentoring young people with disabilities. Yeah. yeah uh, and yeah. frequently when people, you know, will talk to me and they'll talk about leaders in the disability community, and it will be the same people, I know. Uh, you know, Mark Abrista, Tony Quellett. Do you know what I mean? They'll go yeah. through the same list. Um, yeah. What do you think we need to do to see a vibrant young leadership team, you know, move? It, or, or do you think the problem is that everyone feels like, well, you know, we now have the ADA, we now have accessibility, uh, so, you know, it's not as it was before. I don't know. But I no. know in other minority groups, they still continue to have, you know, leaders uh, as yep. they go along. What, what do you think about that? I think we have some great young leaders in this country, and I think it's up to us, those of us that might be on that list that you talked about, where if people talk about disability leaders, they just say the, the same uh, older crowd over and over. I think it's important for us that are on that list to make sure that everything we do includes young leadership, that we seek them out. They are there. They're there in every state, they're there in every community, and they're, you know, you can find them with any, every disability, you know, disability community that exists, whether it's young people with psychiatric disabilities, young people with autism, young people who are blind or visually impaired, they, they are there, and they, and they want to be a part of, of this movement, and we have to let them in. So we have to make sure they're included in everything that we do. Um, we have to make sure that we continue to reach out to them and make sure that we, we listen to their views, we include their views. Um, they, you know, they have different views than we do. They have a different experience than we do, and that's, that's good. So one of the things that, that I do in Massachusetts is make sure that whenever I organize anything of any kind that we make sure that we have younger people with disabilities uh, included in it. Um, so we even had, you know, um, the Rev Up campaign, for example. You know, we really want younger people with disabilities involved in that so that they are talking about voting, that they're excited about registering to vote and looking, you know, spreading the word about the different ways you can register to vote in Massachusetts, things like that. That's really important, and, and you just have to make sure that they're part of the conversation. 
And AAPD had like 50 young people with disabilities at the gala. Yes. And, and what Chris said is so true. Say, for example, you're at some meeting where you're meeting with other leaders or, you know, at some uh, AAPD gala or uh, Nickel event, whatever it is. Yep. That would be so great for you to include that person with you, you know, to meet yeah, other people yeah. because, yeah. you know, how are they? If they, You know, you have to be that mentor. Um, and I, I feel strongly about that because uh, we don't want to always have the same names or some of the names people won't be with us any longer yeah, that are yeah. on that list, and it already has happened that way. Yep, but, um yep. I, well, I you know really what? Think... One of the great things that AAPD does, and and one of the things that we we wanted to make sure um, we strengthen this year, is the internship program, bringing in young people from all over the country to Washington D.C. Um, we brought back the housing component this year, which ensures that people that otherwise really couldn't afford to do this can afford to do it, and that they talented young people with disabilities from all over the country come to D.C., they're housed, they have an an internship. Uh, The Michael Murray and other people at AAPG uh, run a tremendous program where they meet a variety of people, they have speakers come in, they usually get to go to the White House for an event, there's, you know, just a, a, an amazing array of opportunity for uh, these young folks. And that's one way of, of trying to build, you know, youth leaders uh, within the community. Uh, and with more funding at AAPD, we'll be able to do more and more of that each summer. And it is a fabulous program. It yeah, is the it hallmark is. of amazing. AAPD. Yep. I mean, amazing. these interns uh, are fabulous. Uh, future leaders, but future great employees for you. So, yep. um, you, you know, in any company out there listening, if there's something you want to sponsor, this is it. Because it yeah, is you just... Know what? You just reminded me of something, um, Joyce, that, you know, young leaders with disabilities, you know, not only, you know, can they be leaders in the disability community, but if they have leadership skills, they're going to be a leader in your company. And Mm -hmm. so they're not only great interns, they're great employees. And as you just started to say, you know, if if this is something that you're interested in in funding uh, and being a sponsor of, please please contact uh, AAPD contact Helena Berger and, and learn more about the program because it is great. Oh, it is. I would encourage anyone listening to do that. It is a fabulous program. Yeah. So, Chris, I don't even know if I ever asked you this question before, but, uh, you know, I think so highly of you and probably anyone that knows me well knows how highly I think of you, uh, as many people do. But uh, you've done so much. You, you've just achieved so many things in your life. And you just have this burning passion that's always there. And like me, you have that volcano when it comes to things that aren't right or discriminatory. So my question for you is, um, who, who would you say was your role model that uh, has instilled this in you? Or uh, even someone, you know, today. I mean, who would you say has made that difference in your life? 
So I think growing up, your parents and your family play a huge role in, in who you become and, you know, how you handle yourself and how hard you work and things like that. But, Joyce, this is going to sound really corny to you. Um, and I want the listeners to know that I, 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 really, I really do believe this, but you are my role model. You and I both share the same views on employment of people with disabilities. We believe, we really believe this, that it's the key to everything in life. And I, you know, I, you act like I don't, uh, I think, get negative about it, but I do sometimes. And you never do. You stay so committed, so positive, that... You know, sometimes I, I think I view it as sometimes it's a job and it's, and it's difficult. You never do. For you, it's a mission. And, you know, a mission that you are driven to complete. I think most people don't know that you travel all over the country speaking, meeting with businesses. You do that all at your own expense. People offer you money. People agree to pay your expenses. You always say no, 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 because you want it to be clean and 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 just something that you're you know you want to do. And I don't think most people know that you are. I would have to say the most positive and generous person I know. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris. Um, I I don't even know what to say uh, beyond thank you. But coming from you. That means more to me than you could possibly envision. But I have to say, we are in the same club because the feeling yeah, is we mutual. Are, yeah. the fi- I always say Chris could be my sister because we are, I can guarantee you, we meet someone, we're going to have the same opinion. I mean, we are uh, just so close. And, of course, I have the same feeling about you because uh, you've just done so much and achieved so much. Um, and to be honest with you, that's amazing for me to hear because to me, you know, I look up to you so much. So no, I no, guess no. we both like Joyce, each you other. Really, you really are a very positive, positive, generous person. And, you know, you just you light up a room when you come into it. And uh, I, uh, I think we could all learn a lot from you. Oh, Chris. Oh, thank you. Uh, so much, but you know how I feel. So, Chris, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Uh, good question. Uh, there's lots of messages, but I think uh, given what we just said, uh, my message for everybody is to get out there, make sure that everybody you know is registered to vote. And that they then, it's not enough to just be registered, that they actually get to vote. And it's you either get to the poll and vote, or you vote early if you have early voting in your state, or you get an absentee ballot. But you make sure you vote. Just what I said earlier, quoting Justin Dodd, vote as if your life depends upon it, because with this presidential election, it probably does. That's for sure. And actually, I end every show with a quote, and it relates to so many things being talked about by the candidates. And that is, it is curious 
that physical courage should be so common in the world and moral courage so rare, said Mm -hmm. Mark Twain. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being our guest. I have to have you on every day. Thank you, thank you. Um, And thank you to Highmark and Covestro for being sponsors of this show. I will look forward to talking to everyone next week. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters, at voiceamerica.com. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.